We interrupt this broadcast with some important news. Let's rewind and check out the biggest news stories from this week. It's time, it's time for Taiwan This Week. Good evening and welcome to Taiwan This Week with me, your host, Gavin Phipps. And I'm joined in the studio this evening by Sean Su, an independent political consultant. Happy to be here. And Dimitri Buras of the China Post. Hi, good evening. Tonight we'll be discussing Health Minister Chen Shih-chung butting heads with Zhanghua County Magistrate Wang Huimei over some rather unauthorised coronavirus testing, the Foreign Ministry touting the significance of the name of Taiwan's new representative office in Somaliland, a proposal by the Basic Wage Deliberation Committee to raise the minimum monthly and hourly wages this year, moves to ban Chinese over-the-top service providers from operating in Taiwan, and a short list of names for Taipei Zoo's new panda cub. But we'll begin with former Vice Premier Chen Chi-mai winning Kaohsiung's mayoral by-election last Saturday. Chen, of course, was the big favourite to win the election and he got 671,804 votes, or 70.03% of the total cast. Now, the KMT's Jane Lee won 25.9% of the vote, while Taiwan People's Party candidate Wu Yi-jung got 4.06% of the vote. Now, Chen won in 35 of Kaohsiung's 38 electoral districts and voter turnout for the day stood at 41.83%, which is pretty much the same as the 42.14% voter turnout seen in the June the 6th recall vote that unseated Hangwo Yu. Now, KMT Chairman Johnny Jung is vowing to bring his party back to power in Kaohsiung in 2022. And speaking to reporters after the election results came out, Jung said the outcome should not be seen as a rejection by Kaohsiung citizens of the KMT, but as them urging the party to work harder. While Jung was no doubt hoping for party unity following those post-election comments, that didn't quite happen, as KMT Legislative Caucus Whip Lin Wei Zhou was quick to jump in and say the results showed that the so-called hand wave is now a thing of the past and the party must move on and make changes if it wants to regain the trust of voters. Now, that comment sparked some controversy within the party, with KMT Culture and Communications Committee head Wang Yu Min quickly jumping on it and saying basically the KMT values every one of its members including Han and his supporters and it also needs to galvanise support from all quarters to become a strong opposition party. There was of course some speculation, Sean, that Han's presence at Jane Lee's election eve bash could have dented support for her. Or do you think it was too late by then? Uh, probably a combination of both. Um, as we saw earlier, the Han wave, I think the Han wave had pretty much ended far earlier, uh, especially when he lost the presidency. But even before then, with uh, the Hong Kong protests basically uh, showing that his policies of moving closer towards China was probably going to be a little iffy. But he also had uh, numerable uh, gaffes, uh, one of them including uh, during the pre-election rally, uh, a totally rain-soaked uh, Jane Lee and uh, Han. Han went on for at least to me watching the live feed felt like forever as he talked about Jane Lee's fertility uh, suggesting, telling her, uh, regaling with a tale where he had suggested that she eat uh, a pile of goose eggs in order to, you know, help uh, you know, birth a child uh, and he even said the number was a hundred goose eggs now, such a story seems really out of touch, especially for most generations in Taiwan. I do believe he was targeting his base uh, many of which are older uh, generation grandparents or uh, who may uh, get excited at the story of uh, telling kids on different, uh, maybe superstitious ways on having children. But it just seemed so odd and out of touch and nothing to do with, uh, you know, 
I, I also felt it would have been very embarrassing for Jane Lee as well. Uh, this entire thing didn't help, and it dominated uh, a good portion of, of the news where he was kind of being laughed at uh, by much of the internet. Uh, furthermore, his tale isn't even correct. Apparently, the superstition about goose eggs applies to the husband eating them, not the wife. So this whole entire thing was just weird. Uh, and the election itself, uh, Jane Lee herself should have been able to, uh, the KMT should have at least been able to cultivate uh, some more younger people with uh, Jane Lee. But it didn't quite even pan out either. Her her uh, scandals, especially with the plagiarism uh, uh, with her master's degree, just kind of ruined the whole thing. So, so wow. Dimitri, the hand wave there, obviously Sean it long dead, but do you think it died this past Saturday or it was dead last year? Well, it died a long time ago when the results of the election were uh, exactly as expected. Well, the real question now is whether the new mayor will be able to implement his new policies very swiftly. So usually there is a 100 days of what we call a honeymoon something uh, of the first days of governance. So, well, what I'm looking forward now is whether first the mayor is going to attend these question and answer sessions at the city council, which is would be very important because the KMT has a majority, almost a majority at the city council. So they're not going to make it easy for the new mayor and he might face tough questions from day one. Uh, in terms of governance, well, I don't think he will. It's very unlikely that he will contradict the policy of the previous Kaohsiung mayor, Chen Zhu. So we're going to see, we're not going to see uh, most many changes in governance. What we can expect is maybe massive investment in infrastructures paid by the central government to support the Kaohsiung mayor over the next few weeks. So we're waiting for... Uh, maybe an announcement, but without any foreign investment and a long-term plan to develop the city and uh, the area and boost exports to the region, uh, well, I don't think it's we're going to see uh, the last, after 100 days, and within 100 days, I don't see we can't, see, we will be able to see much and maybe uh, even after one year, like uh, that was a big argument to recall the Kaohsiung mayor was that after one year, almost nothing had happened. So, well, we'll just wait and see and see how things go over the next first three months and then one year. Of course, Sean, that was a big question of Han Yu's. He complained that, well, the central government, because he won and wasn't in the DPP, were not going to fund him, not going to give him any money. Yeah, that is one of the reasons that Han said that uh, he, he wasn't able to be very effective with the populace. But I think for uh, Chen Chimai, one of his biggest problems uh, is kind of similar to the earlier days of Tai Ing-wen, which is to try to communicate their victories. As Dimitri said, after the honeymoon period wears off, it's going to be quite challenging for him to show uh, what has he done, what has he changed, what has he you know, tangibly uh, improved. Now, for Han, he was very graph-prone, and he had, uh, some people say, abandoned his mayorship to, uh, you know, run for, tai- run for Taiwan presidency, and he had traveled all over Taiwan. Now, Chen won't be doing that. Uh, Chen, of course, who has an opportunity to, of course, try to make some changes, at least uh, he may exaggerate or whatever, but he will, he will probably most likely, under this uh, sm- wisened-up DPP from 2018, will probably just uh, go online, you know, 
know, create memes, uh, you know, create uh, all sorts of uh, uh, social media messages on what he has improved to try to emphasize those kind of things. And uh, we did see some of that in his campaign rally, for instance. Uh, during this campaign, uh, just like Tsai, uh, he had emphasized that he is a cat owner. Of course, he also has a dog. And the most exciting thing about his campaign, which wasn't very interesting, by the way, uh, was basically a cartoon version of himself, a uh, miniature, uh, you know, playing around with his giant a giant supersized version of his cat. So I do think that they're going to continue that sort of thing to make sure that people are aware of whatever victories he has. And that may help uh, improve his uh, or maintain uh, some of his positivity ratings after uh, the honeymoon period. Of course, Dimitri, there's already talk in some circles in Kaohsiung of recalling Chen Mai. And it was that was described by a DPP city councillor this week as a farce. So you, do you see these Hangor Yu supporters in Kaohsiung attempting to recall Chen, or do you think that's a farce or simply just talk on the interweb? Well, just talk, talk. He doesn't have any supporters anymore in Kaohsiung. So he doesn't have enough supporters in Kaohsiung to launch a recall. So, well, he was elected, that's a fact. Now we need to live with that. Uh, whether he's popular, he's a cartoon character i think it's great but the question we should ask is when the people uh the kaohsiung people who live in taipei area because they can't find a decent job in kaohsiung when would they be able to move back to kaohsiung find decent jobs with decent pays now that's i think that would be the benchmark and that would be how we maybe judge you know he's uh uh his term as a as a mayor in Kaohsiung, but it's too early to say that. So I think he has a chance to prove something. Now I think I hope he can do that as soon as possible. And we have to wait to 2022 to answer those questions, whether he'll be re-elected or not. Anyway, moving on, and in coronavirus-related news this week, Health Minister Chen Shih-jong defended his decision on Wednesday to investigate the Zhanghua County Health Bureau for testing a teenager who recently returned from the US for the coronavirus. Now, according to Chen, the local health bureau failed to fully explain why it carried out the test on the teenager who ended up being asymptomatic for the virus. Now, the teenager had no symptoms of the disease on his arrival in Taiwan on August the 5th, or while he was in quarantine, but tested positive for the virus on Monday, two days after being tested by the local health bureau. Now, that test was reportedly not in line with the Central Epidemic Command Centre's protocols, under which returning travellers who have had no contact with any confirmed patients are tested only if they have symptoms of the virus or they're travelling from the Philippines. And it's since come to light that the Zhanghua County Health Bureau conducted virus tests on hundreds of other people under quarantine over the past six months without informing the Epidemic Command Centre of those tests either. Now the health minister is stressing that the investigation is not political and is not aimed at penalising anyone but simply to find out if there were any breaches of the home quarantine system. And he's also said that he understands the position the Zhanghua Public Health Bureau was in but he said it should have informed the Epidemic Command Centre before carrying out these tests. Now County Magistrate Wang Huimei is defending her health bureau saying it should be praised for carrying out the tests and not investigated. So Sean, obviously this... The health minister was wondering why a local health bureau was testing people from the coronavirus and not requesting the central government health department do this, as in the protocols say that should be done. But of course now apparently facing allegations that the investigation is political, even though he said it's not. 
I do think that there is tinges of it being political. Uh, this is sort of uh, the, the whole entire way this was set up is actually wrong. The first issue is that if they did have concerns about the way the central government is uh, combating the pandemic, then maybe they should have actually consulted them instead of going behind their back and sort of doing this uh, 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 these testings behind the scenes. Uh, for, furthermore, the methodology that they're doing it has been uh, under a lot of uh, a lot of uh, there's been a lot of concern over the way that they're doing this, especially because the way that they're doing the testing is by uh, getting people who should be in quarantine to go to the hospitals. Uh, so people have written online uh, recently uh, trying to stay anonymous. One one netizen or one person posted that since he felt Zhanghua count or they felt Zhanghua Quantiu is really small, they weren't going to reveal their names, but that hospitals were calling uh, this person asking them to, you know, get tested and that they would get tested for free. But uh, if they were to wait longer, then the government wouldn't pay for it. They would have to pay out of their own pocket and the costs could be significant. Now, these kind of moves don't really help Taiwan's uh, combat against the pandemic because it's not really about a high score, low score, or, you know, what methodology is better. The facts are that if someone stays in quarantine for 14 days, plus, uh, you know, being self-aware for any symptoms and what have you for another week, uh, that basically almost eliminates any chance. Whereas people PCR testing isn't 100% accurate, and neither is uh, antibody testing. So having this kind of you know, uh, testing is not very helpful. Furthermore, uh, I also saw an on, uh, analogy somebody wrote online that uh, a hunter says he's good, you know, he's amazing. So he shoots 1,400 arrows, which is, by the way, roughly the amount of tests that they've done so far. And he finally gets a hit, and it's a quail in his own cage. So one wonders, like, given that PCR testing, you know, isn't that perfect, they're testing all these people, they seem like they're going to generate some numbers, either false positives uh, and potentially false negatives, too, and at the risk of bringing the, the virus to the public. Uh, so, yeah, there is possible political expediency here. Furthermore, uh, I believe a counselor, I don't have her name right now, but uh, they, they said that the Zhanghua County Health uh, Director may have uh, been also a board member of a chain of hospitals, of 25 hospitals. So there's a possibility of a conflict of interest, perhaps a financial one, but we'll see as that's being investigated. And furthermore, um, even the past for, uh, former Vice President Chen also mentioned, who is an epidemiologist, that you know antibody testing and whatnot isn't accurate enough to not produce false positives at this current time when you're testing 10,000 people in this fashion. So yeah, it does seem like it's going to create false numbers, and you know, uh, and what's the benefit out of this study? It's not really to protect Taiwan, is it? At least that's how I feel. That's the question. Well, I think it's a, it's a, it was a very interesting topic this week because it contradicts the the story, the the, the success, successful Taiwan story we've heard from weeks. But more importantly, it is seen as a departure from CEC protocol. So having a local government doing something that the central government did not recommend is very interesting. So we know that there are actually three reasons why we should conduct tests. Whether there is a risk population, whether uh, there is a way to conduct such tests and what we should do if someone uh, 
is tested positive. So clearly here we have a risk population, foreigners coming back from Taiwan who are not tested. And we know that there are so many asymptomatic people that do, do, do not show any symptoms, okay? So there is also a way of conducting these tests. And Taiwan has been stockpiling tests for weeks and it's ready to do it. And third, what we should do if someone is tested positive, well, Taiwan has a way. It's the quarantine way. You go for two weeks in quarantine. The problem here is, I think, the time, the, 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 it was not the right time. Taiwan has prepared for weeks this visit by a very um, the U.S. government official, and they've prepared that visit for some time. So last week was not the right time to introduce such measures. Now, we could have expected these measures given that what's happening in New Zealand right now or what happened in Hong Kong. So, well, maybe that local government thought in a different way, but there is nothing wrong for that. I mean... A local government, if they have, they feel that there is this issue with risk population, and they took the initiative of conducting these tests. Well, uh, they tested someone positive, which is a good thing. So, well, uh, we'll look forward and see whether maybe uh, the central, the CCC, will make an announcement in the upcoming days. But maybe the way forward for Taiwan is massive test in the future. Well, uh, you know, uh, as uh, the former vice president said that, you know, uh, there are as many as 40,000 people in Taiwan leaving the country to be screened. And he said that the, this morning, actually, he wrote, and he said that the probability of being tested positive is only 0.008%. But he also said that the global screening tools is approximately accurate at 96%. So if you test these numbers, you're almost probably definitely going to get a false positive. Uh, right now, the, the only defense, the best defense against uh, you know uh, community spread is quarantine itself. Uh, I personally find problematic that the reports were people saying that they were even asked to scooter to the hospitals just to take these tests. That presents a hole in itself. Furthermore, if we do mass testing now before we have a 100% defense, so what if you get a number, for instance, for this teenager, just because uh, you know he was asymptomatic, if he had stayed in quarantine, it would have been fine. But now, since he had to go to the hospital, there is the chance that he may have infected others on his way there. That presents a big hole. Uh, right now, I think the time, the best thing to do is to have quarantines until there is a very strong testing uh, 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 methodology. Furthermore, if people are uh, showing symptoms or getting sick and what have you, those numbers will crop up at the hospital too, therefore leading to uh, uh, signs that there is uh, community spread. Uh, other things that uh, the people mentioned that there might be community spread is, is regarding uh, the, the, the recent cases, uh, one in China, uh, but of course we always have to double check the one in China. But uh, another person leaving, uh, the, I think, what was it, to... Uh, uh, Vietnam and Laos. Ah, yeah. So Vietnam and Laos. And apparently they've been tested again and they turned out to be negative. Or the one in Vietnam, he had shared a room with another positive who was tested positive earlier. So he may have contracted from that person during quarantine in Vietnam. So because you, capitalizing on those kind of fears and then increasing the risk in Taiwan, I think is not the smart move. Right now, quarantine's our best shot. 
Anyway, moving away from quarantine and the coronavirus, we're going to talk about foreign affairs and the Ministry of Foreign Affairs on Monday of this week announcing it's formally opened a representative office in the self-declared East African state of Somaliland. Now, the opening ceremony was led by Taiwan's top envoy to Somaliland, Lord Junhua, and he was accompanied by Somaliland's foreign minister. President Tsai Ing-wen delivered a pre-recorded congratulatory message during the ceremony, while Foreign Minister Joseph Wu delivered his remarks live via a video call. Now, Somaliland's first representative representative office to Taiwan. Well, the head of that office arrived here on August the 7th. However, it's not yet known when the Somaliland representative office will open in Taipei. Now, also this week, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs was forced to dismiss criticism by both China and Somalia concerning the opening of the Taiwan representative office in Somaliland. And of course, China's foreign ministry was describing the move as promoting secessionism, while Somalia is claiming that the office infringes on its sovereignty and violates its territorial integrity. So, Dimitri, there we go, a new office in Somaliland. And, of course, also this week, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs described as very significant the use of the word Taiwan in its title. Well, the, the, the president hailed the announcement as an important milestone for their bilateral partnership in a tweet the following day and then stressed that Taiwan and Somaliland are bound together by our shared valued values of freedom, democracy, justice and the rule of law, ideals that will guide our future cooperation. Well, I'm not that optimi- I'm not that excited by this announcement because there was one important omission in the president's speech that was press freedom. Now, Taiwan people believe that communication and expression through various media, including printed and uh, electronic media, should be exercised freely. But if we check the website of Reporters Without Borders and we type Somaliland, what we will see is a pattern every month and for years of reporters, opponents being arrested. TV stations shut down over two days period because they said or they didn't say something in favor of the ruling party. So I think it's an embarrassment for Taiwan to go ahead and making such a very uh, big move and including changing the name of the representative office and saying and stressing that we have these kind of shared values with Somaliland. I hope so. And I hope that in the future, maybe Somaliland will think twice before shutting down a TV station or arresting a reporter like last May just because the guy asked the wrong question. Now, uh, what will happen in the near future is whenever somebody then makes bright, like bold moves like that, the Taiwan government will need to also respond to media's questions about their actions. So, well, again, I think we just rushed and we rushed to conclusion and we now have, we're going to have to handle uh, such issue with this maybe unreliable government. So, Sean, could it be an embarrassment for the Thai administration, as Dimitri was hinting at there? It possibly could. Uh, One issue, though, is that Somaliland isn't very well reported throughout the world, Uh, quite possibly because of the fact that it does arrest reporters. 
That said, um, because, <laughs> but quite possibly, but the other bigger issue is that Somaliland isn't very well known. It isn't something that people really target in the news all the time. So I do suspect that, yes, there will be some uh, consternation over that. But a bigger issue is the fact that Taiwan doesn't really get to choose its allies, not too much. Even the United States isn't perfect. Uh, I believe um, Reporters Without Borders, even at one point, or even right now, rank Taiwan better than the United States. Uh, it's very hard for Taiwan to hold accountable all of its allies, given the situation that Taiwan is in right now. Uh, so, you know, if tomorrow uh, the United Arab Emirates or, uh, let's see, what's what's another nation? What's a nation that has very bad uh, human rights and stuff? If they decided to Better recognize... Us. That's not getting it. It's getting a bit of a bad rap in a moment, isn't it? Belarus. Okay, so if Belarus decides to recognize Taiwan, I think Taiwan's going to take it. They're not in a position to say no. Anyway, I have to take a short break now, but we will return after these rather important commercials. Welcome back to Taiwan This Week and the Basic Wage Deliberation Commission this week. They proposed raising the minimum monthly wage to 24,000 NT and the minimum hourly wage to 160 NT. The proposal, though, still has to be approved by the Cabinet, but if passed, it will represent a 200 NT increase in the current monthly minimum wage of 23,800 NT and a 2 NT rise in the hourly rate, which is currently 158 NT. Now, predictably enough, Labour groups were cheering the decision, while industry representatives, well, they expressed their disappointment. The Taiwan Labour Front was being quoted as saying that the increase will make a tangible improvement to the lives of many workers, and while the proposed increase is small, raising the minimum wage now will still spur consumption. The group also says that the basic wage increases over the past four years have not resulted in the negative impact on the unemployment rate that employers had predicted. While industry representatives however, claim that the wage hikes will create a greater burden for businesses due to the ongoing coronavirus pandemic and the Chinese National Federation of industries said the pandemic and the trade war between the US and China may force many industries into difficult situations and the minimum wage hike will make those situations worse. The Federation also said that a rise in the minimum wage will also lead to an increase in health insurance and labour insurance costs and could lead to an increase in unemployment. So Dimitri, should workers be paid more? Should the hourly wages be increased or should they stay the same because of the coronavirus pandemic and US-China tensions? Well, I think we should call things properly. This is called a wee tiny increase because what you said, you just mentioned $290 a month. It's barely $20 plus per hour. And I don't see how you're going to spur consumption with $20 per month. So if we talk about increase, we should call things and do things seriously. Uh, at the same time, I think... Another concern with uh, with this increase, we need to understand that the uh, inflation in Taiwan has increased. We've seen inflation over the past few weeks and months. So this small increase barely make it up for the inflation. So in the, at the end of the month, you end up with exactly the same amount of money. So while we should be serious, we should understand that a lot of people, including migrant workers, and there are 700,000 migrant workers in Taiwan, and we're going to just tell them that they're going to have $200 plus per month. Now, I understand that companies and families, some people are complaining about the increase, but it's really, it's really too low. And that's not going to have any impact on the life of people who really struggle to make you know, ends meet at the end of the month. 
But do you think, because you said it was low, Dimitri, I mean, obviously the Federation of Industries is saying it could lead to more unemployment. Do you think that's a bit of an overstatement? It's an overstatement because they would have maybe, uh, I think they're arguing in the first place, again, a major increase. And they were maybe satisfied with this wee tiny increase that would just make it up and cover their cost. Maybe another issue is that migrant workers are not well represented in those negotiations by uh, labor unions. And that's the reason why maybe their voice is not heard. And then over the years, we've seen those wee tiny increase again and again. Yeah, at least cur- during the current administration, there's always been a monthly wage increase, uh, a yearly wage increase, uh, with the with the uh, you know with it about increased about a thousand NT annually. However. Uh, that said, uh, there is a pandemic. It is a little bit tough for companies. I get it. But companies usually plan ahead for these increases anyway. They have a good idea of the increases in the past. So just having an increase of 0.84%, uh, 0.84% is not really that difficult. I mean, at 2 NT an hour, as Dimitri said, isn't a huge increase. So I think they've been, uh, the Basic Wage Deliberation Committee hasn't, you know, made it really that tough on companies. Will there be somebody uh, let go because of an 2 NT hourly increase? I'm a little bit skeptical. I'm sure there might be a case or a couple of cases. But overall, I think an increase is necessary. Uh, The biggest benefit out of this, I think, is just that they increase the minimum wage to NT24,000, which is an easy-to-remember number. But uh, even three years ago, President Tsai and the current VP Lai had both said that a 30,000 NT minimum wage is optimal. Now, I'm not saying that we should increase to 30,000 NT tomorrow. However, uh, I am saying that, yes, we could probably do more. I understand the pandemic isn't that great this year. But if things return to normalcy next year, I do think that the populace will want to see a much higher increase. Uh, not too long ago, we were talking about potentially a 5% increase or trying to get in line with what South Korea is doing, for example. And I think we need to stay on track on that. And Demetri, of course, Sean there mentioned Tsai wens promise to raise, raise the minimum wage rather to 30,000 NT. Can you see this happening in the next year, the next two years or the next three years? Well, I don't see this happening over the next few years for many reasons. Well, the pandemic could be a good excuse, but we've been told by government agencies that Taiwan is doing not so bad, actually. So I don't know exactly, are we struggling or are we doing better than other countries in the region? If we're doing slightly better, why not give back to the population a little bit, right? Now, well, the concern we have is that uh, with this uh, go south policy, and Taiwan has been uh, inviting and subsidizing companies to come back to Taiwan and reinvest massively in Taiwan. So, if you want companies to invest in Taiwan, you need to give them proper land, but you need to also to make sure that the cost of labor are not going to increase dramatically over the next few years. Everything is, as you mentioned, subsidies, everything is well planned and organized years in advance, right? So we've spent the subsidies on inviting companies to come back to Taiwan. We don't have any money left to give it to the workers. So what's going to happen, because Taiwan has already a very low unemployment rate, it's very likely that we might invite more migrant workers to come to Taiwan. So what we've seen is a pattern for years. We have 700,000 foreign workers in Taiwan. This number could go up any time. 
to accommodate companies and uh, factories who want to hire workers. Taiwanese people don't want to work in factories, so they need to find people. And the only way is to offer, I mean, very, uh, to invite migrant workers, but offering them very small wages. Yeah, and that's going to be a, a problem. But another issue is also is that a low wage, uh, Taiwan can't be stuck in this sort of uh, low wage uh, sort of uh, uh, mindset. Uh, I do feel that Taiwanese companies are very risk averse and they like to do things the way it has always been. But the world is constantly changing. So yes, I do feel that they will try to get uh, uh, migrant workers to offset the higher wages in Taiwan. However, um, at the same time, I also feel that uh, if Taiwan, Taiwan can't be, is and has not been the world's factory for too long. So it is time that we do increase the wages so we can attract uh, the kind of people that can really, really bring more to Taiwan's uh, uh, development, right? I, I mean, uh, it's very difficult for Taiwan's wages to get the best. We have a brain drain going to all these other nations simply because we don't pay enough. You know, anyone who works in Taiwan on uh, and decides it, when they can easily get a job in the United States, for example, is kind of charitable because they're asking for a huge wage decrease. Look at the, the what we're paying our programmers, for instance. Look at uh, that kind of thing. It's just not competitive. So if Taiwan wants to really stand strong in the future, I do think they have to increase that. They do need to have a viable target to uh, get the minimum wage at least to 30,000 NT. We need that buying power, more money in our markets, uh, more liquidity uh, is, is a good thing. And so, uh, and we need to really get out of the old mindset of, you know, being OEMs and ODMs for everyone. It's not going to last forever. And moving on, the Ministry of Economic Affairs and the National Communications Commission on Tuesday of this week announced measures aimed at stopping Chinese over-the-top service providers from operating here in Taiwan. The ministry says regulations are expected to take effect on September the 3rd, which will prohibit Taiwanese agents from collecting fees, providing customer service or advertising on behalf of the Chinese OTT providers. Although Chinese OTT service providers such as iQIYI are not allowed to operate in Taiwan, there currently are no regulations that explicitly ban Taiwanese agents from acting on their behalf and offering their services to people. Now, the Economics Ministry says while the new regulation takes effect, agents who partner with banned Chinese OTT service providers could face a fine of up to 5 million NT. Now, apparently, according to... Oh, well, it did, didn't it? iQIYI, of course, applied for permission to set up a subsidiary in Taiwan in 2016. But, that, of course, that application was rejected as Chinese companies are banned from investing in the island's media. Well, basically, yes, but, of course, this includes OTT operators, which some might argue aren't actually a media service, Sean, because they're actually over the over the top, basically streaming services and not theoretically a media group. Yeah, that I'm going to leave the lawyers to argue over for Taiwan's uh, <laughs> Taiwan's uh, uh, laws against that. That's going to be for them. But for for regular people uh, that just want to get some of the programming in iQIYI, which is very successful, especially in uh, securing exclusivity agreements with, let's say, South Korean dramas and so forth, it, nothing really changes that much tangibly. You know, you can still swipe your credit card, go visit the Hong Kong site, or download the app that way. So even if if iQIYI isn't allowed to have a proxy entity or you know some other means to be officially in Taiwan. Uh, 
accessing their their programming is still negligible, regardless of the laws, because it's up to that company to to you know restrict Taiwan users. And I believe WeTV of Tencent has the same issue too. As long as they keep it open, you could still browse it, just like Amazon Prime, for example. You could still watch Amazon Prime certain content. Even in Taiwan,、uh, going online, they have content set up just for that for to view abroad.、Uh, other issues that I think、uh, might come to play is its financials. Maybe some lawyers might find、uh, something to deal、uh, uh, to attack uh, uh, or prohibit them that way. I do know that、uh, Aichi is being、uh, investigated by the SEC, especially when Muddy Waters Research found that、uh, it may have been.、Uh, Dishonest about its,、uh, you know, subscriber numbers,、uh, much the way they also unearthed that Luckin Coffee was faking it. But all these are just way. All these are just the symptomatic of the fact that this is political、uh, between Taiwan and China ties. And yes, I do understand that some people have concerns that a lot of、uh, Chinese shows definitely put uh, the CCP,、uh, the Chinese Communist Party, in good light. However, none of this really.、Uh, Has to do with you know、uh, the legality of Aichi and all that stuff.、Uh, I really think it's because you know the the ruling government does in Taiwan does not really like、uh, or is trying to find some ways to combat China. Well, I don't like the term ban, and in 21st century Taiwan, I don't think it's a word we should use.、Uh, this, I think, it's a word we should use really carefully. Well, obviously, the government is trying to make it harder,、uh, which is more correct, for you to、uh, watch shows online. But the truth is, they can't do anything about it, as you just mentioned. You just You know, subscribe to any web service. You can subscribe to any web service and watch the content online. Well, the new regulations, however, show that to me that the local content providers are just putting pressure on Taiwan authorities to restrict access to their market and safeguard the advertisement revenue. I think that's what I learned, what I see in that in that in, the, in that legislation, because the trick is that streaming services are not classified as special industries under the Act governing、uh, governing relations between Taiwan and China, which Has allowed for commercial activities to develop swiftly across across the Taiwan Strait. So, if streaming services become the target of legislation, well, more companies might have to provide information about their shake stakeholders in the future, which might also become a little bit awkward in 21st century Taiwan. Oh, oh, yeah, and uh, uh, there is some speculation that this might actually、uh, have other issues. I, I agree. The word "ban" is very, we're a democratic nation here、yeah. in Taiwan, so the B word is very, very sensitive. We don't want to. Uh, uh, so there's no effective way, hopefully, that that we can essentially ban their content. That said,、uh, there is also speculation that this might cover eventually down the line game advertisements for Chinese companies and other things like that, especially the advertisements that are shown on this uh, platform. Uh, I do want to say that though that. Uh, uh, Aichi does have one thing going for it, which is it is apparently, from my research,、uh, above board. So it's not like it has pirated content or anything like that. In fact,、uh, Aichi stood out for having licenses. And so, if Taiwanese companies want to compete, I know it's going to be very tough for them to fight a giant like、uh, Baidu or、uh, you know Tencent,、uh, which again owns these two companies. But 
they are going to have to try to find a way to license that content in Taiwan to appeal. Uh, we are a capitalist society, so they're going to have to try to fight that way. But using the government to pressure them to get uh, to try to get an advantage out of this is not. It doesn't look good, I think. And we're also a society that loves our Korean soap operas and dramas. Oh, there you yeah. go. Anyway, before we go this week, the Taipei City Zoo on Monday announced a shortlist of six names for its new panda cub. Of course, the cub was born at the zoo on June the 28th to mother UNUM. Now, three of the shortlisted names are based on the female baby panda's parents' names and are Tuan Zai after father Tuan Tuan and Yuen Yo and Yuen Bao after the mother UNUM. While the other three names on the shortlist are Tapioca Pearl, Mochi and Roro, which was, of course, the nickname given to the panda cub by the zoo. Now, zoo spokesperson Eric Tsao says the shortlisted names were selected from 1,700 suggestions sent in by the public during the first stage of the naming campaign. So, you, Sean, you've got 1,700 suggestions, and they're the six they picked. Yeah, uh, this is personally, whatever name that uh, Taiwanese are going to choose for it, I guess, uh, will will result in, no matter what name they choose, will result in more visits to the Taipei Zoo. But the names themselves, I'm sorry to say, personally speaking, uh, I'm not very uh, enticed by it. The only one that I think is even somewhat international is the Mwanji one, because that, that one I think uh, other people can pronounce uh, visitors, tourists from around the world. Uh, but ultimately, all the, this means is perhaps uh, looking at past numbers, a 25% increase in visitors in one or two months after they reveal the, the baby cub uh, you know, to visitors. And we're talking about maybe 100,000 extra uh, uh, visitors per month for two months, roughly, uh, to the zoo. Whatever name they choose it won't really make much of a difference. Uh, it's just for publicity purposes, I think. So, Dimitri, tap, Tapioca Pearl, Moji, Roro, Yuenyo, Yuenbao, or Tuanzai, which one are you going to go for? Well, none of them. I think for, to most foreigners, I think the names are impossible to pronounce and even to remember. So we should maybe go to the next level and find something more international. But Bob! Bobby, yeah, that would be nice. But listen... In 2008, just after President Ma Ying-jeou was elected, there was an international press conference. And I asked President Ma whether he would allow Tuan Tuan and Yuan Yuan to come to Taiwan. And that's when he made the announcement that following his election, he would allow the pandas to come to Taiwan. So, so many years later, I'm kind of happy to see those two pandas having more cubs. And I just think... In 20, I mean, in this year, do you think that the central government would have allowed the two pandas to come to Taiwan? Based on what we've seen and all the things that have been banned so far, we're pretty sure that we wouldn't have allowed and we would not allow those pandas to come to Taiwan. Well, over the years, and we see all the excitement, the families, the children seeing the pandas and having fun with them. I think it would have been a pity. And we've seen this is an achievement and this is something we did successfully. Though I hope we can maybe look forward and be less, uh, uh, I would say, tense. And whenever we mention the word China and see things, how to, we can solve problems instead of coming up with new problems all the time. So, Dimitri, if the panda Tuan Tuan and Yuen Yuen have another baby and it's a boy, do you think they should call it Dimitri? 
Uh, I hope not. This is a difficult name to bear. <laughs> anyway, that's where we'll leave it here on Taiwan This Week This Week. And I've been joined in the studio this evening by Sean Su. Thank you. And Dimitri Budas. It was great to be here. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to this week's edition of Taiwan This Week here on ICRT with me, Gavin Phipps. And don't forget to check out Taiwan This Week podcast on your favourite podcast app where you can get access to all our previous shows. Tune in again next Friday evening at 9 for another informative look at the top stories of the week with Taiwan This Week. And don't forget to also check out our podcast on our website, icrt.com.tw. Now keep it here for more music and news only on ICRT FM 100.